0: Let's stay standing, if we could, for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the infancy narrative from Luke chapter 2. Church, I want to just invite you to listen and receive God's Word together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen, church. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat. It's great to have all of you. and. All the families gathered as well with the young ones for our Christmas Eve service. I want to zero in, if I could, on just a few simple but at the same time profound statements about Jesus this Christmas Eve 2017. And I'm not going to take a lot of time to unpack these. In fact, my devotional this morning might go down in history as the shortest devotional sermon I've ever given. So, I know we have... uh, Other things that we're focused on at this season, and I really appreciate the way that Ryan set the tone for us today. Just a few moments today to set our hearts and minds right on the Lord in this Christmas season. And quite honestly, the truths that I'm going to speak to you today, they don't need a lot of explanation or elaboration. Just three simple truths about Jesus this Christmas season. And if you don't have pen and paper to jot these down, that's okay. I would encourage you to just make a note of them in your mind. And spend some time reflecting on them today or tomorrow. Here's the first one. Jesus is our humble king. He's our humble king. I love the way that we just sang about that with what child is this. And in some ways that statement right there sounds almost oxymoronic, doesn't it? A humble king. Aren't kings supposed to be inherently combined with pride and with pomp and with circumstance? But just consider a few things, if you would, about Jesus and his birth. Jesus was born in a barn, not in a palace. Jesus was born in the backwaters of Israel, in Bethlehem, not in the power centers of Rome or even the power centers of Israel. Jesus's parents were peasant teenagers who weren't even married. They were betrothed, but they weren't married. Jesus was wrapped in strips of cloth and laid in a feeding trough. Jesus' birth was witnessed more by animals than it was by people. In fact, that's my favorite part of that movie that we just watched when the camera kind of pans out and you see the cow and the sheep. and That's not exactly the way that you would expect the king of the universe to come into our world, is it? It's almost like God intentionally brought about the birth of his son in the most humble means possible. Why would he do that? What's the purpose of that? Why would God want it that way? Wouldn't he want his son to be born in a palace and with all the pomp and circumstance that comes with kings that are birthed into this world? Well, that leads to my second point. I think at least in part, this is why. Jesus is our humble king, but also... Jesus is the universal king. My second favorite thing about that movie is the depiction of the shepherds as this grimy and earthy group of roughnecks. I think that's correct. To think that God wanted the first witnesses to His Son to be to His Son to be animals—that's bad enough. To think that God wanted the first human witnesses to His Son to be Shepherds, lowly shepherds, why not priests? Why not rabbis? Why not respectable men? Why not military leaders? And I think the reason for that is simply that Jesus didn't come to save some. Jesus didn't come to save only the well-bred or the well-mannered. Jesus isn't the king of the well-bred or the well-mannered. Jesus came as the king of all. The lowliest people all the way up to the most well-bred in this world. And all are welcome to enter into his kingdom. I've said this many times from this pulpit. Let me just say it again. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. And so he wanted the first human witnesses of his son to be the lowest of society. And that's welcoming to all. What's really remarkable when you look at the the birth narrative of Jesus in the book of Luke and the shepherds, when you contrast that with the birth narrative in Matthew, you have the Magi from the east, right? And what's significant, that is significant in the gospel of Matthew, because Matthew wants the gospel message to get out beyond the confines of Israel. Matthew closes his gospel. The last things said in his gospel are what? Go make disciples of all nations, of all people. And of course, this is foreshadowed even in Jesus' birth. When the first people, Matthew tells us, coming later after the shepherds, the first people to witness Jesus' birth and to testify to him and bring gifts to him are these pagan stargazers from the east. Matthew's trying to show his readers that, yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. But this Jewish Messiah will be a light to the nations, just like Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament. He's the universal Savior, he's the universal King. And that has proven true over two millennia. Jesus has been worshiped and followed on every continent, and just about every nation on planet Earth has a representative of Jesus' followers. So he's a universal King, church. Amen. Aren't you glad about that here so many miles away from Bethlehem? He's a universal king. He's a humble king. And then also thirdly, Jesus is a spotless king. I really like how Dallas Jenkins, who directed that movie, I like how he emphasized that aspect of Jesus' sacrifice in the movie. Obviously, there's a little bit of artistic license here with a crippled shepherd who gets healed. We'll forgive Dallas Jenkins that. But the demand for a spotless sacrifice, I'll just tell you, that was not embellished at all. In fact, there's a passage in Malachi where God says, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. God says, will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And the issue with those sacrifices wasn't just that they were substandard sacrifices. Obviously, that was an issue as it relates to the Lord giving him substandard sacrifices. But what God was really upset about that is that those substandard sacrifices, they were disrupting the typology. They were breaking the pattern That God had from the Old Testament to the New Testament of a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Because those sacrifices, those animals were supposed to point forward to the perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice to come. And I love how that movie ended. And by the way, that's why the virgin birth was so important. Some of you might think this morning, and maybe you're even reading in the news or whatever, is the virgin birth really that big a deal? Isn't it just mythological, Pastor Tony? Can't we dispense with that? No, we can't, church. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And here's the reason why. Since sin was passed down to children from their father, Christ's birth was not subject to that. It circumvented the father. And so Christ remained sinless at birth in a way that no other birth was sinless. Wayne Grudem says it this way, The virgin birth also makes possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. All human beings have inherited legal guilt and corruption. That comes from your father. Kids, you can thank your dads for that later after the service. Thanks, Dad. Jesus circumvented that, what's called inherited sin or original sin. The fact that Jesus did not have a human father means that the line of descent from Adam is partially interrupted. Jesus did not descend from Adam in exactly the same way in which every other human being has descended from Adam. This helps us to understand why the legal guilt and moral corruption that belongs to all of the human beings does not belong to Christ. He's sinless. He's spotless. And to that you might say, well, why did Jesus have to be sinless? Why Why did Jesus have to be spotless like the animals in the Old Testament had to be spotless? Spotless. Well, the reason for that is very simple. Jesus had to be sinless so that he could exchange places with you for your salvation. Does everybody get that? I've referred to this at other times as the great exchange. Jesus' sinlessness is transferred to you. And your sinfulness is transferred to him and paid for on the cross. So now God reckons you, if you are a child of God, if you've received the free gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, God reckons you as his own son. Sinless. Spotless. Blemishless. And Jesus did that Not through being born into this world as a baby, as beautiful an event as that is. That's just the first plan in God's, that's just the first step in God's plan of redemption. It wasn't in Jesus' birth that salvation was purchased. It was in his death. And in dying for us as a spotless sacrifice and rising from the dead three days later, Jesus was and Jesus is our spotless king. Amen, church. Amen, kids. Y'all hearing me? And we worship him. Let me close my devotional with, you, with this. Some of you know this about me, but I love Christmas music and I love Christmas carols especially. And I've preached whole sermons on Christmas carols and it's rare for me to really embrace a new carol or a new Christmas song that I'm not familiar with. But I read a, an article online this last week By Keith Getty And he said that every Christian Needs to be familiar with a few Christmas carols And one of the ones he mentioned I didn't know It's called In the Bleak Midwinter Maybe some of you all know that hymn I I didn't really know it And so, well, if Keith Getty said it Then I need to familiarize myself with it, of course So I did that this last week And I, I began to listen to it And it's a beautiful song It's written by the poet Christina Rossetti. Rossetti has been described by some as the English Emily Dickinson. And in her poem, here's what makes it so beautiful. She mixes some of the earthy elements of Jesus's birth with the truly glorious elements of his birth. Kind of like the movie we just watched. For instance, she writes this. You can read this on the screen. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Enough for him whom cherubim worship night and day, a breastful of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him who angels fall down before the ox and ass and camel, which adore. If you're interested, you can listen to this song later, and there's a really interesting Annie Lennox version of this song. You can YouTube it later and sing it with your kids. There's some other versions that are good, too. Here's why I love this hymn. Here's the best part of it. It's the last stanza. And Rosetti writes this. What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. There's really nothing that you can do. There's really nothing that you can give Christ in order to repay him for what he's done for you. And there's no way to earn His favor by giving stuff away to other people at Christmas time. You can't Ebenezer Scrooge your way out of sinfulness, okay? And you can't earn God's favor by giving back to him either. All you can do really is give him your life and give him your heart and receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. And if you haven't done that before today, maybe Christmas 2017, Christmas Eve 2017, today, December 24th, can be a day of salvation for you. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord, it's a beautiful day. It's snowing outside. We have babies cooing in our sanctuary. It's a beautiful thing, Lord. You have given us the gift of life and you have given us the gift of eternal life. And Lord, we can't earn that. We can't pay you back for that in some silly way. But we can't offer up our heart. We can't offer up our lives to you. And give you our affections, give you our love, give you our devotion. So we do that now, Lord, as a church body gathered together today. We offer up our lives to King Jesus. Our humble, glorious King. Who came to earth and took on human flesh and died a death in our place so that we might be saved. We worship you for this, Lord Jesus. We love you. Receive our lives as gifts back to you. Receive our hearts. Receive our worship and our adoration of you this morning. Amen.